From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we talk stupid calves and spring guards in the land. Head on the road to look at Major League Baseball's rules changes and play a little did you know around the sports world. Off the field, we talk TV and a reality TV legend turning 44 this week. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, is it still winter where you live? It depends on the day. Uh, we have a 60-degree day, then we have a 16-degree day, and then it goes to like 52. So uh, today looked kind of wintry for part of the day. Yeah, it, it's still winter here, even though we got up to the 50s, I think, on Thursday. There was snow and rain and sleet and hail, uh, and there's still some on the ground. So it's definitely still winter in Erie, Pennsylvania, till about June. It's <laughs> <laughs> the way it is around here sometimes, too. We still have a lot of snow. We had a really cold week. Didn't get as much snow as some of the places up north in Michigan, but it is still 1,000% winter in Ludington, Michigan. But let's get inside, go home, start in the land with our sip of wine and gold, our weekly Cavs recap. Cavs decided to return from the All-Star break tonight so last week was not good Cavs suffered a close but still frustrating loss to the nuggets thursday traveled to atlanta without their defense and got creamed by the hawks on friday Cavs came home today against toronto and decided vacation was over trouncing the raptors by 25 <laughs> Cavs are 39 and 25 still fourth in the east scale of one to five one being Corbett Canyon Pinot Grigio. Tastes like nothing at the front and like dirty water at the end. <laughs> Five being Paradise, the sweet taste of elegance from Lamont Avenue Winery on St. Clair. How would you rate the Cavs last week? Even with today, um, I'm going to put it at a one and a half. Like it was, mm. it was, yeah, I'm being very mean today. The Nuggets game, there was a lot of disparity uh, dominating the paint, but got killed by threes the hawks game i mean they, they fired their coach like jeff saturday's coach number something they beat josh mcdaniels <laughs> um it's amazing that that they just got ran out of the gym there and then today was all around pretty awesome but i'm still gonna i'm still gonna put it at that one and a half at the, the front and the back the back tastes not so much like what'd you say pond water just dirty water <laughs> dirty <laughs> water it tastes a little bit better than that but still a sh- just a shitty week yeah, I agree. It was a shitty week. I'll, I'll bump it up just a little bit to a two um, because I, I thought the Denver game, although that's a game you like to win and we wanted two wins out of this week and maybe we thought that would be the one we dropped, but I thought the Denver game was was a good basketball game for the most part. It was close uh, throughout. It was high energy. And I thought, all right, the, and, and the Cavs could have had the game right up until the end kind of thing. I mean, they had no answer for Jokic, but neither does anyone else. Um and the Cavs played well. I mean, Mobley had 31 in that game, I think. Our bigs were were playing well. Uh, Allen with a double-double, and our guards scored, you know, plus, over 20 points apiece. So the recipe was there. Um, it was a good game, and we ended up on the short side of it. So it sours my taste a l- little bit for the week because then the Atlanta game was just a shit show. It was, it was awful. That was a bad basketball game by our Cleveland Cavaliers in every way. I think the the only redeeming player was Garland. He he did one of those games where he went out and scored over 30 to just kind of give us some weird kind of hope in the second half. Other than that, they couldn't hit a shot. I think Mitchell was like two for 10 from three yeah. and just awful. They couldn't hit any shots. And in a night where they couldn't hit any shots, they also couldn't play any defense. So not. Uh, and then tonight, like Chuck said, was was awesome. So it brings me back up a little bit towards that, too. Uh, they really dominated the game. They won every quarter. Uh, it was a weird week, too. You look at their scores. They scored 109, 119, and 118 points in their in their three games. You would think you'd win two of those three games with those kind of point productions, and they just didn't because their defense sucked. I'm surprised. Usually, you guys are a lot more positive than me, but I'm glad we're all down in the in the basement together for this one. I'm at about a two as well. Part of it is they were playing so well before the break, and you just wanted it to keep going. And we felt like these games are still important for them going forward. The Denver game was frustrating, and we're going to get to it in a minute just because of the way it ended. I think it was a great game. Great game, top to bottom, but you get to the end of it, and 
They just couldn't execute enough to win. And, and then to come back and just lay an egg against that Atlanta team on Friday is just, just atrocious and just kind of demoralizing as a fan to watch that happen. Today was great. Good. You're, you should beat this team. You should beat this team soundly, which is what they did. I'm still only at a two. It's a really disappointing week, and I hope that things start turning around and get back to the way they were before the break because I don't want to watch any more games like this. But let's talk some specifics. The Denver game, in the fourth quarter, the Cavs only scored 18 points. Their last basket came with 238 left in the game. That's almost three minutes they went in the fourth quarter without scoring. Uh, the Atlanta game, Atlanta is a play-in team. They're barely hanging around 500, and like Chuck said, they fired their coach over the All-Star break. <laughs> what the hell happened in these losses? Well, I think in the Denver game, you already highlighted it. It was it was a tight game until that last two to three minutes of the game, and, and what I remember seeing out of the Cavs is we had all of a sudden awful shot selection where, you know, Mitchell was throwing the ball up way too deep into the, you know, where he should have dished it. He was throwing it up into the bigs armpits basically in those last couple minutes. And it just, it was kind of like a, a one and done every time down the floor. We didn't have any second chance opportunities and we were defending. Okay. In that game. I mean, they didn't score a ton in the last three minutes of the game either. Uh, we just couldn't get right back to where we needed to be, where it was a one possession game in any possession. So bad shot selection, just weird looking offense at, at the end of that game. The Atlanta game, what happened there? I I don't know. I, I've never been the guy like, okay, so you 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 lost a tightly contested game the night before. You have to travel, so you have this letdown. Well, you know what? That's a terrible team. Like letdown or not, you've got better talent yeah. on your team. Go out there and win that game. I don't care if you win ugly. Go out there and play defense and win ninety nine to ninety six or whatever. You know. Uh, but yeah, a good playoff team goes into Atlanta and wins that game, and the Cavs. They couldn't shoot. They couldn't defend. They couldn't do anything. Well, with Denver, I mean, you did the best you could against uh, Jokic, even though he had a pretty crazy stat line. You still kind of limited him, and you dared the other players to beat you, and they did. You had somebody else beat you, even though Jokic had a, a phenomenal game. That guy's going to be a three-time MVP. But really, they got they outscored Denver by 30 points in the paint, which is kind of their MO. You win the game, but they got outscored by 33 from distance. So there's no three-point shooting, especially if – you know, like Mitchell and Garland, I think they were three for 13. That, that, that's how yeah. you lose that game. Like that, basically how you lose that game. The Atlanta game, the Hawks were plus 12, I think, in the paint compared to the Cavs. That's how you lose that game. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make much sense. The defensive issues were, were there. They got beat in transition all night. And it's not like they weren't getting back either. It's just like it's just overall breakdown. I don't know how long that flight is. And maybe it's, you know, like we've used the term scheduled loss, but still. You should go in there and, and win that game. Where you, it just felt so off. Um, it just felt like it. it should, every time they play the Hawks, it feels like a playoff game. And man, that that didn't feel like that at all. Uh, and every game counts now. Whether there's 20 left or 18 or 19, and you can't throw away ones you're supposed to win, especially if if you're playing for a home field or a home field. Jesus, home court playoff spot. Uh, that's what was just super disappointing. The the Denver game. It's one of the best teams in the NBA. And it just kind of swung. But the Hawks was a absolute beatdown. The Denver game was a great game, like I said. But we are now seeing way too often that this Cavs team can't seem to figure it out in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter when the game is close. It's so predictable that you can you just kind of see it coming. And it's, it's kind of what Phil, I think, is saying is that all of a sudden the offense completely breaks down. Bad shot selection. It's not moving the ball around. It's not getting the ball to Evan Mobley, who had 31 points in three quarters and no shots in the fourth quarter of that game. Like, yeah. how are we not getting that guy the ball? He was unstoppable. Denver had nobody who could stop anybody at the rim, and Mobley could just could score at will. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's these guys not having the time yet together. I tend to think that it's, we're too late in the season to be making that excuse anymore. They're just not good at closing out these games. And if there's anything you want to worry about for that team in the playoffs, that's it. That inability to close out games is going to be a problem in a tight series. Atlanta, I just, they were lost from the beginning of the game and just looked disinterested. And again, like 
it's your second game after the all-star break. How are you already disinterested? Come on, man. Give a shit. I, I just don't get it. I don't buy this. We had to fly from Denver to Atlanta. It's probably two and a half hours. It's they were not in that Cleveland. long of a flight. They played Denver in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Oh, f- it's, like, it's, it's probably an hour and 40 minute flight. Two hour yeah. flight. It's not that long. And it's not like they're flying coach. They didn't have to sit next to me on the plane. No. You know? They gave up 49 points in the second quarter. Like, have you oh, ever seen bad. that? 49 points yeah. in a quarter. That was uh, ugly. I guess I hope it was just like a, a one game thing where they didn't have their heads on straight and it just led to that happening. But it we're late enough in the year that it just can't happen anymore. Just can't happen. They've got to win those games against teams that they should beat in order to hold on to that four spot, because some of these other teams might be coming still. The Knicks are winning a lot of games now. Uh, There's still challenges out there for the Cavs before they get to the playoffs, and they've got to win these games. So, yuck. All right. Raise your glass. Toast to your favorite Cav of the week. Merck Price. February 23rd through the 28th, 1993. He averaged 23 points, seven assists. <laughs> the Cavs were 3-0. and Next one, Austin Carr. From February 21st to February 26th, 1974, 31 points a game. Somehow the Cavs were only 1-2 and two in those three games. Next one, LeBron James. February 19th to the 24th, 2008. Averaged 30 points, 10 assists, and 14 rebounds. Cavs were 2-1. and one. How did they how did they lose a game <laughs> when he was doing that? Last one, Danny Ferry, February 22nd through the 27th, 1996, averaged 21 points, four rebounds. Cavs went two and one. Who's getting your toast? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna give it to LeBron. That's a pretty dominating stat line there. It's averaging beyond a triple double. And they went two and one. I'd, I'd like to know who the loss was back yeah. then. Probably Golden State. Tough to argue with the king on that week, so I'll I'll raise it to him. Yeah, it's easy to give it to LeBron. I think he's got a future in this game. Um, <laughs> uh, I, of those four, um, only one man went undefeated in that stretch, and that was Mark Price. He That's led right. he led that team to a three and zero record. What we would have given for three wins this week, right, boys? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I'm going with Danny Ferry. He was my guy. <laughs> I might have been Danny Ferry's biggest fan in Cleveland. I couldn't believe I could find a three game stretch. In February, where he averaged 21 points. I was really surprised by that number. So Danny Ferry gets my toast. All right. Let's be done with this stupid week. Next week, Cavs thought it best to take it easy after a rough week coming out of the break. So they only play two games. Just two lousy games next week. Wednesday in Boston. Saturday back in Cleveland against the Pistons. Is this schedule light enough for the Cavs to play with some energy in both of these games? Yes, they better. If they're going to the one seed's house on Wednesday, uh, let's uh, let's use that as a bit of a measuring stick, you know? Weird scheduling. It'd be nice yeah. if they, it was this week they played two coming out of yeah, the break, right. but yeah. I guess you get another little mini break here and some days off between games. What I'm interested to see is if what they did today, uh, if, if you watched most of that game, uh, they they ran an eight man rotation until like five minutes left in the game. That's that's going to be their their playoff rotation, man. So I'm interested to see how that matches up if if that's what they do against Boston. Um, and then you can be- basically empty the bench hopefully against the Pistons on the weekend. That Boston game is going to be interesting because I doubt the Celtics have forgotten that the Cavs beat them twice the first week of the year in two really close, really good yeah. games. So I think Boston's going to be ready to. Uh, show little brother who's in charge uh, come Wednesday night. So that's that's going to be hopefully a great game and hopefully not one where the Cavs just lay down and get beat by 30. We'll see. The lineup stuff is interesting, and I think the the rotation stuff that we're going to start to see over the next couple of weeks will be interesting because I think you're right. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of guys that we were used to seeing first 50 games of the year not getting playing time anymore. Uh, and We'll see how that goes. Why don't we move on from the Cavs? something a little bit more fun. Let's do some spring gardening, our weekly look at the Cleveland Guardians in spring training. And let's start this week with the players the Guardians lost from last season. Luke Maley, Austin Hedges, and Brian Shaw all left via free agency. Guardians traded Will Brennan, Owen Miller, and Nolan Jones. 
and that's about it. Otherwise, the roster stays mostly intact from what we saw at the end of last season. Are the guards going to miss any of these guys? I think we'll miss Shaw just because we talk about him a lot on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, they now he signed somewhere. He signed, I think, a minor league Chicago. Deal yeah, good for him. He's good going to the White Sox. Yeah. Well, that'll be good for maybe the Guardians a couple times a year if he's out first of the Albert stuff. Bell, then Brian Shaw. Yeah. yeah. Uh I, I don't know if they, they miss any of those guys. Maybe um the dude they traded to Cincinnati. Just I, I don't know what his ceiling is. You know, like I, I don't know what he is. He seemed to have the frame just to mash. And I'm trying to think, you know, we often trade with the Reds. Who was the second baseman we traded there who came a perennial all-star? Brandon, Brandon Phillips. Phillips. Yeah. yeah, Brandon yeah. Phillips. I'm not saying he's Brandon Phillips, uh, but I, I like big guys who, who can kind of mash, and, and this team doesn't really have – well, they brought one in maybe, but I would like to see how he goes. But maybe they miss him like when he develops two or three years from now, but not really. I don't think you, you miss all that much. I think the only thing you miss in that group, for sure anyway, is the way the two catchers – handled the pitching staff and and called the game. So cuz their offense was was offensive, right? So it Maley and Hedges I think you you missed that cuz you knew you had two guys that could, that could command that pitching staff and call a good game and play good defensive catch a uh, good defensive catcher. We may still have that, we just don't know cuz they're all new faces on the team. So that if in that group we might miss that. I think a guy like Brennan has a, has a high ceiling, but really had was not going to get any any playing time with the Guardians, not not with what we have to try it out there now. So, and you know, I'm not convinced Brian Shaw doesn't end up in a Guardians uh, uniform by the end of the season. So, you know, keep that one on the back burner. I don't think they really miss any of these guys. I think they can fill in and they can find guys who can manage the staff, and they've got coaches that can help manage the staff. And so, you know, the, even the catchers being gone, I don't think is a huge drop off for them. And I'm actually glad that like Owen Miller is gone. Like I was waiting for that guy to become the next Lonnie Chisholm where every year he's getting a ton of at bats and every year they're telling us, Oh, this guy can hit this guy can hit. And the rest of us are watching games and saying, no, he can't. <laughs> so uh, I'm all right with that move. I think it's a great sign that especially after last year and how the roster changed constantly throughout the season to not have a lot of movement in the off season, I think is going to be really good for this team. That stability's got to transfer into wins and and comfort and good play for all these young players. So who is your favorite member of Terry Francona's staff this year? DeMarlo Hale, bench coach, minor league manager of the year in 1999, somewhere. Carl Willis, pitching coach, has coached five guys to Cy Young seasons. Sandy Alomar Jr., 1997 All-Star Game MVP. Mike Sarbaugh, he has been the third base coach for the Guardians since 2013. He was also in Major League Two. So, (laughs) who's your favorite member of Francona's staff for this year? That's a tough call. I I would lean towards Sandy just because he's been with this club since we were, what, I don't know, 12? (laughs) Something like that, (laughs) you you know? (laughs) He he's been there. Uh, I like all these coaches though. It kind of it kind of lends itself to what you were saying about the roster this year. There's there's no turnover in that group. There's consistency, and they've proven it at this level for many many years. So I'll lean towards Sandy just because he'll always have a special place in my heart. Um, I did not know Sarbaugh was in Major League Two though. That's that's interesting. Apparently, he played himself, and he was a <laughs> shortstop for the Pirates in the movie. I don't know. It's just what I read on the internet. Anyway, Chuck. Who's your favorite member of the staff for this year? It should be Sandy Olimar, just because we have a long history with him and everybody loves him. But Carl, good to see you. He has five mm. Cy Young Award winners, yeah. and I hope he can develop some of these guys as well. Uh, the pitching staff is typically the strength the past couple of years, does his job. I don't know if anybody's winning a Cy Young in this rotation, but uh, as long as one through five produces for most of the year and you can count on them, I'm, I'm team Carl right now. Hot Carl. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's going to make what I have to say next kind of strange, but I'm with Carl Willis too, but mostly because he kind of reminds me of Mr. Tursick. Like <laughs> yeah, he's he kind of gruff, but he's kind of <laughs> funny too. And like at times Mr. Tursick has had that kind of like white beard, like goatee thing. Um, so I'm on Carl Willis as well, but mostly because of how he reminds me of one of our coaches when we were kids. But fellas, 
why don't we close out our spring gardening section there? We're going to close out our at-home segment. We're going to take our first break. We'll come back. We'll hit the road, talk about the new rules in professional baseball. Let's take a look at our bet stamp bet of the night. And let's look out west to the final game of the weekend. Clippers in Denver to play the Nuggets. Nuggets favored by three and a half. Who are you taking? And you want the money line or you want to look at the points? Give me, give me the money line. What do I got? The best place you can get a money line bet for the Clippers is win bet. They're plus 155. The best money line bet for the Nuggets would be Barstool minus 164. I like the Nuggets here. I don't like that bet though, but so maybe I'll go, maybe I'll just go spread. I'll take the Nuggets and give up the points. So you're Best odds then for the Nuggets at minus three and a half would be minus 112 with Bet Rivers. Sold. You got to move to Michigan for that one because that's a <laughs> Michigan-based sports app. Chucky, how about you? I mean, I, I wanted to do Denver minus the three and a half as well, but after hearing I got to move to Michigan to make that bet, uh, why don't I just take the points in the Clippers? You can actually get the Clippers at plus four and a half. At minus one ten, um, at points bet, and so the line for the Clippers, if you're looking at the points, it ranges from three all the way up to four and a half, depending on where you're betting. Don't forget to always check Betstamp for making any of your bets. Betstamp is the premier spot to shop all the lines and the odds available to make sure you get the best edge, get the best numbers, get the best odds, get the best. With Betstein. Welcome back, fellas. Let's head out on the road. And we're going to start in Major League Baseball with the 2023 rule changes. And there are three pretty big ones. First one is the pitch timer. A pitcher now gets 15 seconds with the bases empty, 20 seconds if there are runners on base to start their motion. Hitters get one timeout per plate appearance and must be in the batter's box with eight seconds left on the clock. Pitchers get what they are calling two disengagements, a pickoff attempt or a step-off per batter. A violation of that is a balk. What did you think of the pitch clock after one weekend of spring training games? I don't want to like it because it's, you know, it doesn't seem baseball-like to me, and I love baseball, but reflecting back on one week of spring training baseball games uh i watched a game that began and ended in two and a half hours and the pace of play was really good and it, it you know so I, I i see what they're after here i think the players will kind of round into form and get into it a bit and that's fine it gets away from the ridiculous slow at bats by some of the high priced talent in mlb where they're stepping out for 30 seconds in between every pitch and guys like Karinchak on our Guardians, who, you know, they've got 18 different mannerisms they have to go through before they even look to the catcher to see what pitch is being called. So that kind of stuff gets pulled out of it, which affects those people specifically. But I think overall, for if they're after pace of play, so far so good. I'm still a little undecided as to how I, I don't I don't know what kind of like the, the penalties you bring up, like what bearing will these things have on the actual outcome of games? I don't think they have any bearing once the season starts. Probably right. Like it, it, they'll figure it out. Minor league baseball has had a, a pitch clock for a couple of years. Uh, and in watching double A baseball here, I, I like it. I like games to move quicker. Major league baseball is a snail's pace half the time. So anything that can speed up these games, I'm I'm fine with. Most of these guys, I assume. Well, yeah, a lot of them, probably the majority played college. Like you couldn't step out in college when I played and that changed when I was there. We can keep one foot in step. If you took both, it was a strike. So these guys are pros, like people on it. It's the first week of the first week <laughs> yeah. of spring trading. Uh, I, maybe I think you'll see something, uh, a few screw ups, maybe in the few, first few weeks uh, and they'll be exasperated on ESPN with highlight. But after that, like, uh, I think it's an afterthought as long as, the games just keep moving. That's all I care about. Keep them moving. I really liked it too. I watched parts of two Guardians games this weekend, 
and I could sense that the game was moving more quickly, but I didn't feel like we were losing anything because in the end they're reducing these games by like 25 minutes. That was the average in the minor leagues last season. So 25 minutes split over nine innings. You're talking about like two minutes an inning and you start breaking that up among the batters. You really start to think like, gosh, they're really not altering the game too much to pick up the pace a pretty significant amount. And I think that two and a half hour time frame, I think that's perfect. I think you get a lot of fans interested in a game that's going to go that fast. And, you know, if it's a regular season game, it's going to be over by 930. You can still do stuff after that. Record a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you were so inclined. Uh, so I actually like the pitch clock so far, and I agree with you guys 100%. These guys are all going to figure it out, and we're not going to have like big innings and big moments in games ruined by a pitch clock. I just don't see that happening. Next rule change. No more infield shifts. Two infielders must be positioned on either side of second base when the pitch is released. All four infielders must have both feet within the infield when a pitcher is on the rubber. So no more like sending your second baseman out into short right field. No more moving the shortstop onto the second base side of the bag. Last one is the bigger bases. First, second, and third base increase from 15 square inches to 18 square inches. The new bases reduce the distance from home to first and home to third by three inches. And it's four and a half inches from first to second and second and third. The big thing was is that bigger bases reduce injuries uh, near the bases by 13%. So what do you think the next thing is going to be in a game that Major League Baseball makes bigger? Bats, balls, gloves, spikes? What do you think? That would be great. Uh, huge bats. Everyone has to like drag it up there, start swinging before the pitcher even starts moving. No, I just think they'd be shaped like the old school, like wiffle ball bats you yeah. have when you're a the kid. Front, like the the long skinny the big, yeah, the yeah, 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 exactly. The, the, yeah. the, the humongous. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, if, if baseball is going to make anything in that list bigger, I'm going to say it is the bats because that'll offset the defensive moves they've made to speed up the game they're going to really hurt themselves here though the game's going to slow down <laughs> everyone's everyone's going to put the bat on the ball right if they can swing that thing around all awful suggestions <laughs> yeah so it's bigger bats over the other ones bigger balls spikes. gloves spikes bigger, bigger hats spikes. i don't know what bigger else hats is on the bigger field. hats would be hilarious bigger hats <laughs> bigger uniforms um bigger like a bigger rubber like what if the rubber was like four feet long would that would that change the game any <laughs> So you're halfway to first, uh, and you can pitch from that side of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Also, I'm going to go bigger bats here. Scientifically, right. these guys are all bigger, faster, and stronger. They should be able to swing a 50-inch, 50 50-ouncer. 50 Why not? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So pitch timer, no shifts, bigger bases. Are these rules together going to have a bigger impact on the pace of the game or on offense? Offense. I'm, I like that there's no shift, especially for a team like the Guardians that plays baseball a little smaller than, than most teams do. I like that uh, the most. I don't like the fact that they all have to be in the infield because there were plenty of times uh, in my career, even like, you know, beer league softball, that I was on the outfield grass playing third because I was scared for my f***ing life that some guy was going <laughs> to turn a ball. But these guys are pros and they wear cups and everything. So <laughs> most changes in any major sport that have happened is to increase the offense because offense is exciting. Football has done that. Uh, hockey, I think, did that with the goal size. And now, now it's baseball's turn. So offense uh, usually makes everybody happy. I'm I'm good with almost all of them, I think, but I, I like the shift the best just because, like I said, a team like the Guardians, I think benefits the most from that. Isn't it like counterproductive though? Like isn't what's different about baseball than maybe the NFL and hockey is that if you increase the offense, you're naturally increasing, increasing the length of the game, right? Yep. Oh, man. So much is, it's weird, right? Our whole life, nothing changed. And then all of a sudden, in the last like, yeah. three years, everything's changed. Like <laughs> ghost runners, like we're like we're playing wiffle ball, one on one wiffle ball. You have a ghost runner now, and, and extra innings. I don't know if it lengthens the game from an offensive standpoint. It's not like you know, most teams are built like ours, where they're just trying to string hits together, to score runs. They're trying to to just absolutely mash and, and 
maybe they should move the fences into like 200 feet. Then we could talk about lengthening the game. Phil, dive in. What do you think? I think the offense wins out here as well versus the pace of play. And I kind of think about it the same way you're alluding to, Gerbs. I think, let me be clear, I think all three of these rule changes really benefit a team like the Guardians, all three of them. Like the way the Guardians play baseball, this really helps us because it makes it harder for the other team to get outs on a team that puts the ball in play. And it makes it harder for the other team to control the run game for a team that runs. And not too many teams run anymore, but the Guardians run. They steal a lot of bases. And that just got a little easier because the pitcher can only disengage twice in an at-bat and the bases are slightly closer. So for a team like the Guardians, maybe their game length is somewhere like two hours and 45 minutes as their offense gets rolling this year. And and that's okay. That's a win for us. I think what Major League Baseball wants here is a little bit of both, right? Faster games, more exciting offense. As exciting as the long ball is and was for so long, you know, there's there's not, watching a game, there's nothing more exciting than you know, the, the close play, someone going from first to third or someone hitting a triple that, you know, and there's a play at the, at the, at third base. So those kind of things, uh, we'll see more of that. It'll be interesting to see what, if it completely cancels out the, the, the pace of play though. I don't think it will. Yeah. I don't think it will either, but I think it's a little bit, at least from my perspective, I, I didn't really think about the impact of the pitch timer on offense until I kind of started digging into the rules a little bit and realizing, oh, wait a minute, there's a limited number of times you can throw to first. Uh, That's going to make it a ton easier to steal bases. That's going to extend innings. That's going to eliminate double plays. That's going to give you a lot, you know, easier time getting a guy into scoring position. That's going to mean a lot for the offense. It's definitely, I think, sneaky little ways to, to bring more offense in. And I think you make an interesting point, Phil, that it's, it's not geared to get more home runs. Um, it's geared to get more kind of traditional baseball offense. So uh, that's fantastic. That works for me, man. I enjoy watching that game a lot better than just a bunch of people mashing home runs like the Indians did in the mid-90s when they were <laughs> awesome. pretty good. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. I guess you're right. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of like that too. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right, enough talking about rules. Let's look around the world of sports and play a little did you know. Did you know they've been playing college basketball for like months? (laughs) Can you name any team in the top five right now of the AP poll for men's college basketball? I can. And I I, only because uh, at work this week, I was asking like the sports director. It's like, man, like uh, who the hell was in the top five? And then the teams he rifled off Houston, Alabama was is like one or two. Alabama is good at basketball. Uh, and then I think there's a Big Ten team, like Purdue might be in the top five or was in the top five. Well so, done. Yeah, only because I asked the question this week because it's getting close to, to Cat Tank season and I should probably <laughs> know. But if you would have told me Alabama is a basketball powerhouse, I would have probably shit in my hat. Well, now I can name three for sure. Uh, can you name the other two? Um, no, I, the, the the ones I knew actually were Alabama and Purdue. I do follow college basketball, though, a little bit as a as a Flyer fan, so I've been watching all season. The other two, hmm, I don't know that I can name the other two. So these are actually, traditionally, two of the easier ones. It's Kansas oh. and UCLA. Oh, Kansas. But <laughs> Chuck's favorite team. But still, the, yeah. Houston, Alabama, and Purdue is a weird mix in the top five. Odds are really good that Duke, North Carolina... Michigan, Ohio State, and Kentucky are all going to miss the NCAA tournament this year. So, good for March Madness, or are you already looking forward to the NIT? <laughs> Stole my joke. Yeah. <laughs> March Madness is fun no matter who who's in it, right? Th- those teams don't deserve to be in it this year. It's it, they're they're playing like like shit. So, uh it does increase the viewership of the NIT because those schools are huge. And they're big basketball teams and they're, you know, they've got a lot of following. Um, and then, you know, maybe my flyers will be lining up against them in the NIT this year. I'm still out hoping for a, a NCAA bid though. I'm interested to see if those teams aren't rounding out the t- 25, who the f- is like the normal, like 12. Oh seeds? man, look at is it. it. Like Iona. St. Mary's <laughs> is like 13 or something, or something yeah. oh, like that. Yeah. yeah. Those are normally like 12 seeds that you picked for an upset. So yeah. Um, it might maybe like Coastal Carolina is the sleeper this year for the NCAA tournament <laughs> if a lot of these powerhouses are playing in the NIT. I'm going to be sad if North Carolina doesn't make it 
but otherwise, I guess this is just what college basketball is this year. The traditional powerhouses just don't have the teams that deserve to get into the dance, and that's just the way it goes, man. So we're going to have some bullshit predictions on our brackets of teams that like we've never heard of before who are actually going to be in like the top half of their seating. Look forward to that, fellas. I'm glad I got my title under my belt last yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I don't finish last again. All right, moving on. Did you know the XFL plays Thursday night games? Which league has a better Thursday night product, the XFL or the NFL? I have yet to watch an XFL Thursday night game, but basing it on what I know about how terrible the NFL Thursday night games become, I'm going to say the answer to that question is a lot closer than it should be. And perhaps the XFL with their crazy rules, like the I'm going to go for it on fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick rule, maybe yeah. that's more exciting on a, thir- uh, a Thursday night. I don't know. I did know they played Thursday nights because... Uh, one of our favorite Brown receivers of all time, Josh Gordon, played on Thursday night this week. Oh. And I wonder, like, if Amazon gave the NFL a billion for streaming rights on Thursdays, did, like, Pluto give the XFL, like, 10 <laughs> or 20 bucks for those games? Uh, I didn't watch it. I just knew because um, another degenerate gambler I work with did, like, a DraftKings lineup for this week's oh XFL. And, I, <laughs> and he tried to text me and tell me how great it is. They're all close games. Was, just just stop, man. You know, like, just yeah. stop. Pluto, eh? <laughs> Don't think I'll be watching XFL Thursday night games. Moving on. Did you know the Padres have more money than anyone else? Today, the Padres signed Manny Machado to an 11-year, $350 million extension. This year, San Diego has 10 guys on their roster making $10 million or more, and four of those guys make $20 million. Brent Honeywell is the low man on the totem pole. He makes 725000 Do you think the Padres know how money works? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they probably do. Their ownership, geez, uh, they're, they're aligning themselves with the New Yorks and the LAs, right? That's what they're doing because it's baseball and they can. Which is shocking because they're not nearly as big of the market as New York or Los Angeles. And they gave that do what? They gave him ten year contract. He's already thirty or thirty one. Probably He's thirty. Not, yeah, probably not a great contract on the backside. But I respect what they're doing, man. Like they just kind of like throw caution to the wind and huge contracts to guys uh, to try to compete. And I don't know if a team's tried harder to compete than than the Padres have over the past couple of years for a market that size. So best of luck to them. But I mean, I wouldn't be dishing out ten year deals to guys who are thirty or thirty one. Let's test that. The next real big free agent in Major League Baseball is going to come after this season is Shohei Otani, who will be 29 when he hits free agency. Last season, he hit 273, 34 home runs. He was also 15 and 9 with a 233 ERA. Machado, who's 30 now, last year he was 298, 32 home runs, did not pitch at all that I could find. <laughs> if Machado was worth 350 for 11 where is otani going to go and do you want to reconsider your statement that you're not signing somebody who's at around 30 to a 10-year deal i mean if he pitches and hits yes then i would revisit my thought process uh for for a guy who uh is one of the best at the plate and one of the best on the mound so if if machado's at three i would assume Gosh, you got to be getting into like NFL quarterback money here, guaranteed money. I would assume he's he's at he's got to be four fifty, right, to five hundred million if it's a ten year deal, and probably deserving of it. it. It's a shame that two of the best players in baseball play for the same franchise who really doesn't do d- with them or surround them with other players. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, if if he went somewhere else where where you could see him more often. But I would assume that guy's worth every penny if he continues to put up those numbers at the plate and, and the mound, by the way, he's, he's really good. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's not fair to even call him a, a generational talent. I mean, how many generations occur in a hundred years, right? So that's Shohei Otani right now. It's been a hundred years since someone's dominated like that on both sides of, of the game. So I, I agree with Chuck. Someone, someone's given that guy 450 to $500 million for a decade plus next off season. I was thinking 400, you know, 40 million a year. But some of these guys, like, you know, 
like Scherzer's making 44 this year, I think. So yeah, I, I think 450 probably sounds about right for 10 or 12 years or something like that. And I guess the big question is, is how long is he playing both ways? You know, I'm not sure that he keeps that up for an entire career. Uh, you may end up with a team that says, hey, we just, we're happy to pay you $45 million to just hit bombs uh, all season long. Don't worry about pitching anymore. We'll see. Moving on. Did you know Jake Paul fought Tyson Fury today at about 5.30 in the afternoon? Someone leaked a script for how the fight would go. Everyone involved said that was a fake thing. What do you think? What do I think if it was a fake thing? It was a yeah. boxing match? Sanctioned? Yeah. No, it was in Dubai, I think. Uh, maybe they sanctioned it. <laughs> I think it was in Saudi. I was actually in Saudi, I believe. Maybe not sanctioned. I, I don't know if there was any. I, I, who won? Fury After. won a decision. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Good job, Paul. I, I don't think it was fake. I don't think it was very good either. I knew it was happening. I saw the the script. I didn't, I didn't read it. It was nice to see. I think I'd watch about 10 seconds of highlights where you finally had uh, Jake Paul fight somebody with a legitimate boxing background. And that dude tasted a lot of jabs from what I saw. But you're going to get a rematch in, what, three to six months and yada, yada, yada. And maybe there's another script. But I guess if somebody's talking about boxing, that's good because unless it's like the new Creed movie, nobody's talking about boxing anymore, which makes yeah. me sad. I'm not sure how much they're talking about it if it happens at 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> That's not really your prime boxing spot. But, uh, fellas, with that, we're going to close out this segment. We'll take our final break. We're going to head off the field and talk some TV. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field and welcome to From the Land TV Time. Looking at the biggest stories on the small screen. This week, a reality TV legend turns 44. The reality show Survivor starts its 44th season on March 1st. So a quick Survivor stat line. There have been 635 episodes of the show, 644 contestants, a total of 1,641 survival days. The show's been nominated 63 times for Emmys. It's won seven of them. Five former players have also appeared on The Price is Right. However, none has made it past the showcase showdown. <laughs> have you, in the course of the last 20 years or so, watched a full season of Survivor? Yes. I don't know which one it was, but it had to be in the first three when it was like super duper hot and everybody was watching it. And we did, uh, which is weird, radio did watch parties. Like we would have, whenever it was on Thursday night, we'd have a watch party like the Fox and Hound and lots of people would come to watch it. Uh, that was the last time I watched Survivor because I think we got a cease and desist from CBS at some point during that season, which was great for me because I had my Thursday nights back. Uh, in the last 20 plus years of Survivor, I haven't watched an entire episode, let alone an entire <laughs> season. So no. All right. <laughs> Good news, none of the questions that I have to ask tonight require you know anything about Survivor, so it's going to work out for you. Kind of like sports. <laughs> I watched two seasons of it. Again, Chuck, like you're saying, like when it was still pretty brand new, and I think it was when I was in law school and I was living with Tursic, and it was just kind of like Thursday night we were going to watch Survivor. It was what was on that night, uh, but that's it. it. It has been a really, really long time since I watched any of these. The first episode of Survivor premiered on May 31st, 2000. Where were you and what were you doing in May of 2000? I was here um, in Erie, Pennsylvania. I moved here in March of 2000. In May of 2000, uh, I assume I was working seven days a week. I don't think there was a watch party that year. I don't know if it was that first year, second year. My guess, though, uh, it was May. So I was probably trying to find like a softball team to play on because I was new to the area and looking for something to do in the summer. Uh, in May of 2000, I was in Dayton, Ohio. I was just starting grad school, and that's probably why I never watched Survivor, because I didn't have time to watch anything. May 2000 would have been the very tail end of my first year of law school. So I was either done with my first year and getting ready to work for that summer downtown, or I was just wrapping up that year. And it was also right around the time where my college girlfriend 
broke up with me, but told me she just wanted to like temporarily break up. So I think what she really wanted was like the summer off uh, from our relationship. And I should have given her the summer and a whole lot more, but I did. Survivor is hosted and produced by a guy named Jeff Probst. Which one of these is the best Jeff Probst fact? First one. While filming Survivor season one in Borneo, he was stung in the genital area while swimming. Next one. He is married to Mark Paul Gossler's ex-wife. Next one, he came up with his iconic line, the tribe has spoken, all by himself. Last one, he peed on a fence in Australia, but that fence happened to be electric, mm-hmm. so he got a shock. Which one of those is the best Jeff Probst fact? Man, this poor guy's junk. <laughs> <laughs> getting stung, getting shocked. He's the real survivor. Screw these other people. How has he been around for 44 seasons with that kind of poor life decision making uh the best fact i guess is um i i guess peeing on the electric fence i didn't know that was actually a thing like i i th- that happens you, you you pee on an electric fence and you get shocked i i think he had to touch it too i don't know yeah there might have been some contact i don't know <laughs> well mark paul gossier is zach morris zach morris is married to kelly kapowski kelly kapowski is tiffany amber theason so i'm assuming that he is married to tiffany amber theason Uh-oh. which would have been fantastic so i'm going with that Bad boy, you're dumb. <laughs> all right. I'm going with the fact that he came up with the iconic line, the tribe has spoken all by himself as a guy who likes to try to come up with iconic lines for this show. I know how hard that must have been for him. So quite an accomplishment, Mr. Probst. Moving on. How about the best song about surviving? Survivor by Destiny's Child. A Country Boy Can Survive by Hank Williams Jr. Only the Strong Survive, originally by Jerry Butler, most recently by Bruce Springsteen. Or I Will Survive, Gloria Gaynor, Cake, Demi Lovato, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, Johnny Mathis, and the cast of Glee. Wow. (laughs) So what's the best song about surviving? I think I'll I'll stick with the last one, I Will Survive. Fills up dance floors everywhere. I used to have a me first and a gimme gimme's t-shirt, which is shocking. Wow. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just like the I never heard their music. I was like, it's a great name for a band. Uh so really? I think I got this yeah. like, like hot topic in 2001. And Gloria Gaynor, I think I met her once. She was a very sweet woman. Song will be played at weddings forever. So I'm I'm gonna that's the best song about surviving. So the question is, what is the best song about surviving? Not my favorite. All right. So yeah, the best I agree with Chuck. Like that's the best. That's the the iconic, but my favorite's the Springsteen one, really. I like Survivor by Destiny's Child. <laughs> I remember really wanting to get down to that song <laughs> in a club in downtown Cleveland, probably sometime around May of 2000. So. <laughs> the Blind Pig. Yeah. 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 Blind Pig, Velvet Dog, maybe. Velvet Who dog. knows, man? Yep. Funky Buddha. Oh, Funky the Buddha. options were endless on West Six. Yeah. I, this, this may have actually also taken place down at Shooters, which is a little bit more my speed. <laughs> Moving on from best song about surviving to best song by Survivor. Eye of the Tiger, Rocky 3. Burning Heart, Rocky 4. <laughs> Is This Love, Never in Rocky, or Oh Sherry? It's not them. Why <laughs> <laughs> do you have to say that? I guarantee you, like, like half of our listeners wouldn't know, and I think you would agree with me that they're basically the same. Why would Steve you even Perry? bring that up? Yeah, oh Sherry's, oh Sherry's by Steve Perry. All right, so that song by Survivor or Oh Sherry. <laughs> I'm a huge Rocky fan. I, I I like Eye of the Tiger a lot. I also like Hearts on Fire. It's hard to choose between those two. I guess I'll lean towards. I'll lean towards Eye of the Tiger. I those are my two favorite. I don't know if they're the best. It's rough, man, because I'm a big Survivor dude. Um, Vital Science is a phenomenal album when seconds count. I love Eye of the Tiger, but I don't even think you have. Do you have I Can't Hold Back on the list? Their best Survivor song or no? I don't. Yeah, that's my favorite Survivor song. So I'm going with that one. We need an all ears segment for a Survivor here. What's going oh, on? They're from the yeah, deep dive. They're, they're really good. Which Rocky movie was that one in, Chuck? It wasn't in one. It was. Oh, well, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I tried to listen to the non-Rocky Survivor albums when I was coming up with this list. And I'll tell you that I ended up with O'Sherry 
as the next best song. So I'm, I'm going with Oh Share. I think it's a really awesome song. It's a great song. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I thought that was cool. Let's take a look at the most successful Survivor alumni. So this is somebody who was on the show and then went on to do something big afterwards, like unrelated to Survivor. So first one, Elizabeth Hasselbeck. She was Survivor Australia. Uh, she co-hosted The View and had a two-year run on Fox and Friends. She was born the same year as us, and she is now retired. But she only married the other Hasselbeck, not the good one. Next guy, Chase Rice. He was Survivor Nicaragua. Country music star. Six of his songs hit the Billboard Hot 100. His 2014 album, Ignite the Night, peaked at number three on the Billboard 200. Earl Cole, Survivor Fiji. Co-founded the Smart Tire Company a venture that uses NASA technology to make puncture-proof tires. Last one, Nick Brown, Survivor Australia, Harvard Law School graduate, current U.S. Attorney for Western Washington, and Nick and I served together in Iraq in 2005 as trial defense counsel when we were both in the Army at the same time. Who's the most successful Survivor alumni? I'm going with uh, Elizabeth Hasselbeck because when you started to say it, I'm like, you better put her on it. Not because what she's done outside of Survivor, because I always found her to be unbelievably attractive. So uh, I'm not attracted to any of the other people you mentioned. I'm shocked. I had no idea Chase Rice was a Survivor alumni. He's had a bunch of country hits, uh, none of them really great. But I'm I'm going with Elizabeth Hasselbeck because she was um, and probably still is. I should look at a picture of her now, but she was always fine. I, I didn't know the country music artist. I, I don't really know how the other three people you mentioned look. So I, I don't want to comment on how attractive they are. They might be very attractive. They might be. I think the most successful, it's hard because I think Hasselbeck's the one that's in the in the eye of the people more than anyone else, right? Because of, of her gig on The View. And then, of course, her kind of semi-famous marriage to the lesser of the two Hasselbecks. Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both professional quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Tim was barely a professional quarterback. I believe he was one of ours, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> on the list. Okay, pretty sure he's on the list. Was he? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> At some point. Uh, anyway, not that that's a, a real high bar to, to hop over. But so I'm going to lean toward uh, your buddy, Nick. I, I think because I bet he's still working hard for the, uh, the good old US of A. I am sure he is. Uh, he was a good dude, man. It was a good office. Nick, Frank Ulmer, Jay Morse, and uh, Larry No Naps Manasian were in that office. I used to go down Larry there no when Naps. I was trying cases. They called him No Naps, yeah, because he was napping all the time. So Larry No Naps was in the office with Nick. Another he was a good dude. Guy. Very sleepy, very sleepy mafia guy for sure. But I'm going with Nick too. Nick was a great dude. Um, and I was actually had a lot of fun, like kind of looking him up now and tracking down what he's been doing since we left. Because uh, that was a long time ago. 2005 was a long time ago. What do you think keeps this show, Survivor, continually coming back? Uh, it costs less to produce than a drama about a fireman, a lawyer, or a doctor. <laughs> you forgot FBI agent? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Phil, if you had to guess, what keeps bringing Survivor back? Money. It's all about the money. And Chuck brings up a good point of that equation right it's uh how much are you profiting and if you're making a shit ton of money on advertising as they are and it costs less to produce a show your margins are huge so uh it's all about the money seems to me that this may be one of those shows that benefits from there being so many options what is considered a good rating now i would say is probably a lot less than it was in 2000 when this show premiered because there's just yeah. so many other things yeah. you can watch and so its ratings probably are nothing like what they were the first five years when this was the biggest show on TV for a lot of that time. But hey, man, they're still pretty good. It's a good brand. I guess technically it's different every year because you're bringing back different people and you're going to different places. Seems to me that it's all still the same thing every season. So that's kind of why I stopped watching it was you watch it for one season and you're like, okay, I get it what's going to be different next year, except the people are going to be different, you know, but I have a feeling like it's um, easily accessible and they don't have to hit the kind of numbers they used to. So they can just kind of keep grinding along and, and hanging out is survivor 
getting to 50 seasons. In other words, if the over-under is five and a half, what are you taking? This is its 44th. So I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the over. They're doing two a year. They must be doing two a year, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're catching I'll up to the, us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the over. I think if, if, if nothing else, even if it starts to fizzle and they're close, they're going for the big 5 0. They don't have to pay anyone extra to come up with cool catchphrases. Just keep rolling. The over is the easy money, even though the, the line's probably horseshit to get there. Plus, when you get to 50, I assume you can bring back. If they haven't already, because I have no idea, like past survivor champions and a few celebrity survivors and yada, yada. Plus, it's still on like a Wednesday night. There's plenty of ground to cover. Move that fucking Friday or Saturday where nobody's watching TV anyway. Uh, and it can exist in uh, basically perpetuity. I set this too low at 50. I should have put it to 75 and and see what the uh, yes. see yeah. where, where the money. Yep. But I agree with you guys. I don't this thing doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon so i think it's probably the over on that one too all right last one which physical challenge do you think you would have been best at your options super golf you use a big slingshot to shoot a golf ball towards a really big bucket of sand with a flag next one a game is afoot this is a building challenge you get wooden blocks and by yourself, you've got to build a, like a structure with those blocks, but you can only use your feet. Spin cycle. Players are strapped to a giant wheel, which proceeds to dunk each of them in a trough of water. The contestants then have to take in a mouthful of water, then spit it into a tube and fill it up. Last one, rescue mission. A player from each team is hanging from a tree in the jungle by a parachute. The rest of the tribe races through the jungle with a stretcher, retrieves them from the tree, places them on the stretcher, and races back to start. I'm going to go with the first one because it made the most sense, uh, even though it makes no sense whatsoever. It, I don't have to run through a jungle. I don't have to put bacteria-filled water in my mouth and spit it into something else. Uh, so I'm just going with something that sounds like we could have came up with in grade school in the backyard. So I'm, I'm the yeah, whatever the sand and the golf ball and the huge flag is, that's the one I'm picking. I think the last one because it... it it involves running and, and carrying things. And those are two things I can do. I know. I, and certainly when I was older or younger, you're not when I, well, maybe yeah. I'm older, I can do it too. But when I was younger, those are two things I could do pretty well running and, and carrying things. The other three, uh, even though it's not really golf, the fact that there's golf in it, I'm screwed. So that, that one's right out. The, the, the next one, I, building things with your feet, uh, yeah, good, like good luck. And then the other one, I'm pretty sure I would drown on dry land doing that thing. Like I, <laughs> the first contestant to drown on the beach. I like the rescue mission one too. That seems like it would be the most fun. You got to go find somebody stuck in a tree. There's some kind of inherent humor in being stuck in a tree like that. Uh, so that one might be the most fun too. Uh, so that, that would have been mine too, but probably a good place to end this guys. We <laughs> are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that Drake bet $400,000 on Jake Paul to win by a knockout this afternoon. With that news, confirming that online sports betting runs on stupid, I hope you guys have a great week, and let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. Drake. Not Tyson. Like when you said Tyson, I'm like, wait a minute. Holy shit. Like that guy has a legit belt. Like, did he really fight that guy? He's a heavyweight so I, too. So I got to edit that part. <laughs> Tommy <We're> just, Fury. <laughs> we made plenty of mistakes. You could just list it on the social media post. Yeah. Yeah. Has Miles Straw played at all yet in these last two days? I, I haven't read that he's hurt or anything either. I wonder what that is all about. Uh, it's so just funny. along with what you guys were texting, which was far more entertaining if yeah. I was watching the game. So like, I'm going to end sinking this out. I'm just going to read these texts. There's, there's no way there was anyone more into the first game of spring training than Gerber and I in the middle of a <laughs> I was, Saturday. I was so shocked. Like I started sending texts about, I think like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. Everybody else is like going to be shocked that, you know, that I'm watching, you know, 
Nobody's watching the first game of spring training on a Saturday afternoon. And then all of a sudden, Denko started responding. I'm like, holy shit, Denko, I didn't know you had COVID. Of yeah. course you're watching the game. You know? I watched it in its entirety. I watched oh. every pitch. <laughs> I don't think oh, I've gosh. See, I, yeah. okay. I think I turned it off at some point. I can't remember what else I was doing, but um, I watched a bunch today. And uh, they were down eight to nothing in the seventh. And like a bunch of dudes I've never heard of hit home runs, made it like eight to three, and like quickly tweeted out, like, here come the Guardians. It's just like last year. <laughs> Got to play through every out, you know? And the next inning, the other team scored like six runs. <laughs> like, oops. What's your favorite reality show? Me? Yeah. Uh, Both of you. That's a really good question. I, 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 I never got into the traditional reality shows. Yeah, it would have to be like a competition show. Like it might have been, I mean, we, Tammy and I probably watched at least a couple seasons of American Idol. Yeah. You know, when yeah. that was still pretty new. I mean, it was, sure. again, it was like a, hey, it's Wednesday night. It's on. We'll watch it. Um, does, does Double Dare count? <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> mark summers and double dare yeah. go to jog a lake when they had him there for like a week yeah. Did you guys do that too mark no. his sister was smoking oh. hot i went on the log ride with her i had wet jeans nice the rest of you day. went on nice the log ride yeah. with her yeah. nice she's great <laughs> how old were you? you did richard Hatch. I think it was like grade school it was like in eighth grade seventh eighth grade maybe somewhere in there and she was what like 30 no no 20s Probably. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I So I don't have a good like reality yeah. television. Know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I used to watch the I, real world. Like, this like, the, yeah, like this real world real or world, like that, Pawn like Stars Pawn or something stars, like that. Hard Knocks maybe might yeah. be the best. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah we can count go. Hard Knocks. That's yeah, a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Other than that, I don't uh, I remember really enjoying the one season of American Idol that we watched. I remember being entertained by that. Um, and then again, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, the next season starts. And I'm like, okay, great. This is all shit. like the same shit. Yeah. That's yeah. still on too, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's got to be close to around the same time that thing started, I would imagine. Next week. <laughs> Talking about American Idol next week. <laughs> oh, yeah. <shit>. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. You listen to, uh, I think Dirks Bentley came out with a new album. I saw that Friday too. Did you listen to it, Chuck? No, I only know like the songs he's released that we play, but I'm a, I I like Dirks, but I think I looked at the cover. I'm like, I'm not into it. Like he's face down, eyes down. Like now can't even look me in the eye on the cover. I'll get, I'll get to it when I can. (laughs) You are are particularly like, I so embarrassed myself. He's one of the, like, I, I met him a few times and it's like, like curly hair, like me. Uh, and I went back and I started talking about his curly hair and he had cut it off. And as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm just like, why'd you cut it? Like, Oh, this sounds terrible. Why'd you cut your curly hair? Do I'm like, I had the same thing. What kind of product do you use, man? What, what kind of tamed the curls? Oh, my this is what God. I'm talking to Dirks Bentley about. I'm like, oh. yeah. And I, I think I caught myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'm just, he's like, don't worry. I'll grow it back. So, all right. I don't know if he has <laughs> Boy, that yeah. makes me feel so much better about my interaction with Springsteen. Oh, yeah, I've had a few that were really embarrassing. <laughs> oh man, what's the worst? Um, it wasn't the worst. It was my favorite. People got really nervous. I met um, Reba in Cleveland. She opened. I think it was her and George Strait. Uh, and I went down in the bowels of the Gundarina or whatever it is or was then um and i knew a few people back there and they were all like really big wigs not, not like like some slug from erie like they were market presidents for cleveland and like i know these guys uh and i was like i'm drunk and i was like what am i gonna do to stand out so i just like oh, what I am i gonna do I, to stand out yeah i'm like hey um <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you Rich. Very, very pretty in person and very small. And I was like, hey, um, I'm just going to pick you up and spin you around. And before she could say anything, I did. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, and her, I could feel her vertebrae 
like kind of crack. Uh, and when she got put, she's like, that felt great. And I'm like, all right. And everybody kind of like looked at me kind of crazy, but tasered you. Right. Yeah. yeah. I saw those <laughs> yeah. guys at like other shows and they always remembered that I was the dude who picked up and spun Reba around. Oh, that's amazing. Lord. That Jeez. is crazy. We're sick and we're tired. Yeah. It doesn't feel like right, it. I know. I know. I'm, definitely... I'm staying up anyway. I'm not going, I'm not going to bed. I'm going to watch all of us or last of us, something of us. I'm watching something of us. <laughs> a little bit creepy when you're like, I'm going to watch all of us. Wait a minute. <laughs> last of us. Yeah. <laughs> you guys think you turn your cameras off and we say goodbye. <laughs> oh, that's weird. All yeah. right. Hey, thanks better, for everybody. gutting through with COVID, yeah, Phil. It. Yeah, feel better. Yeah, Get man. Hey, I, I appreciate it. Get some it. sleep, it's Chucky. I'm working. Yeah, on. absolutely. You guys, you feel you feel good too, Gers. Man, you yeah, know, stop yeah. plug it up peeing from your asshole already. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really like to. That's probably where I'm headed right before bed. All right, boys. All right, All right guys. guys. Love, Love you, fellas. Have a good one. See it. Funny, funny like a clown. You didn't use you.